blessed name. We thank you for your goodness. Let's just take a moment just to, Peter, just keep playing those chords there. Let's not have any vocals right now. I just want you to worship the Lord and just rest in his presence. Just notice, just feel his nearness right now. Just keep playing those chords. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you right now. you to turn to your neighbor and say, you look a lot like your father. You look a lot like your father. Turn to your other neighbor, tell him the same thing, you look a lot like your father. to make a few declarations together. I heard uh, this phrase during, even before worship began, I heard No Limit Soldiers. I think that used to be like a rap group or something. Yeah. Was it? The masterpiece. <laughs> but I heard No Limit Soldiers. The Lord does that a lot. I mean, it's just, anyways, and um, I thought about Caleb and Joshua. And if you don't know the story, Moses sent 12 spies out to look at the, the promised land and see what was in there. 10 spies came back with a bad report saying there's giants. We're like grasshoppers in, in their eyes. And it says we have become grasshoppers in their sight. They, they had a small view of themselves, which really was a small view of God. But Caleb and Joshua said, no, God's going to give them into our hand. They're, they are like grasshoppers in our sight. 
And I feel like that's what that No Limit Soldiers was about, is there's two warriors going in, and they had no limits on God. And I just want God to just really blow the, the lid off of what we're believing him for. What if you go into your classroom and lead the whole class to Jesus? You know, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. You. What if you, you go into a supermarket and it just ends up being a, a healing center? And, you know, there's, it's not unprecedented. God wants to do it again. And so um, I want you to, to declare after me. I want you to look at somebody. It always helps to look at somebody, I think, sometimes. But look to your neighbor and say, we can take the land. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, God will give it into our hands. Back to the other neighbor. The giants will fall. Giants will fall. One more, one more back to your other neighbor. Giants are like grasshoppers to me. <laughs> Amen. All right, well, y'all can be seated. Okay. Come on over and give that. All right, hang on one second. So this is a way we can give. We'll skip the declarations this morning. But this is how you can give to the awakening. Uh, we have also have a uh, tithe box in the back, tithe and offerings box. But you can text that number. It's not a personal phone number of anybody. It just links uh, your giving to the church's bank account. And um, any tithes or offerings that you wish to give, this obviously helps support us do what we, what we do and um, foster care families and other things. Yes. And uh, we've, if you got cash or check, the tithe box, is, tithe box is in the back. All right, Kimberly's got a word. Hey, I got a word for you, Peter. Hi. How's it going? Um, when you were leading worship, um, I just got this phrase, like the humble brag. Like, we're not supposed to humbly brag, but the Lord can. And I just heard him you know, just say that I see you, I see how your heart breaks for the lost. And the verse that came to me that he gave me was, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Yeah, baby. Yeah, you see that? <laughs> That's good. Um, well, we've got a couple of things to do before we get into uh, the message. And... Uh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're going to ask the Lentons to come up first. We're going to do a baby blessing over Oliver Linton. Y'all give it. How many, how many of y'all know Mark and Anna? How many of y'all been around that long or you know them from St. Simons? And Dude, you're rocking the scarf this morning, Oliver. I love it. I, AKA drool catcher is what Mark said. All right. All right. So they, Mark and Anna live in uh, Brunswick, Georgia right now. And Mark works for a uh, social marketing firm, but also is a youth pastor at Christian Renewal Center down in Brunswick. 
Anna teaches school down in the Brunswick area, and they've obviously got Ollie. How many months old is he now? He, he'll be six months next, next week. He's uh, uh, six months going on, four years old, uh, body size. <laughs> but um, Josiah was, he's the, has, is, I guess, the closest to the size of Josiah I've seen because Josiah was like 25 pounds at six months. And I think he's, he's right, yeah. And uh, Josiah, there's a Christmas picture where it, it literally, Josiah looked like Jabba the Hutt. Where, <laughs> He's doing this. There's no body. There's no neck. Just arms hanging out. Um, one of the things we like to do here at the Awakening is we believe that uh, babies, you know, that their spirit is alive. They may not have the ability to communicate, um, but their spirits can re- understand everything. That's why we, you know, even in the womb, babies, their spirit is can respond to a daddy's voice or mama's voice prayers and those types of things because their spirit's alive and understands what's going on in the spirit. And so um, we, we uh, prayed blessings over our children in the womb. I, I would speak to Josiah. I would say, Josiah, this is your father. I have a, God's given me authority over you, and I'm commanding blessing over you. That's what authority is meant for, to release blessing. And so, uh, so... We would do that when Josiah was first born. He didn't even have his, have his eyes open. And I went, Josiah? And he went, I mean, he's brand new, right fresh out of the chute. So, I mean, you know, it's like. <laughs> um, and he's, you know, they normally don't open their eyes for a little while, but he, he knew his dad's voice. He knew his mother's voice because his spirit knew. So we're going to bless Ollie. All right. So Oliver Linton. I call your spirit to attention in the name of Jesus Christ, and I bless you with identity and legitimacy. God made you special, crafted and created and designed by God our Father. He planned for you. You are no accident. Your Father made you beautiful and beloved. I bless you with knowledge of your purpose, Oliver. I bless you with being everything God designed you to be. I bless you with fulfilling your purpose and carrying out God's work with honor, peace, and joy. I bless you with knowing that God fights for you. Father God intended for you to rest in peace as he takes care of your enemies. I bless you with your ways being so pleasing to the Lord in such a profound way that your enemies will live at peace with you and seek out your God. I bless you with the awareness of God's presence. I bless you with the great joy that comes from the presence of God, sensing him watching over your life. I bless you with the ability to trust God, Oliver. I bless you with experiencing your father's faithfulness, his faithful love toward you, for your emotions to be aware, to know, to savor, to feel, to relish the love your father expresses toward you. I bless you with the joy of the Lord. I bless you you with knowing so profoundly the pleasure he has in you that the opposition of other people means nothing. I bless you in the name of the laughing God of Zephaniah 3.17. I bless you as an obedient child. I bless you with the joy of obedience and realizing that obedience is a joy and not a bondage. I bless you with the unique joy of obeying your father in great detail because you are motivated by love. I bless your place in the new generation who will blot out the old bondage of legalism, 
and the world will see in you the complete merging of obedience and love. I bless you with favor in your walk. I bless you with favor with the authorities and favor in the marketplace. I bless you with favor even with people who are enemies of Christ and the cross. I bless you with freedom from the fear of man. I bless you with going to the word of God and seeing specific promises he has made to you, standing on them and savoring the joy, security, and excitement that comes when your father answers your prayers based on specific promises. I bless you with such confidence in your identity as a child of God that you can truly say, if God is for me, who can be against me? I bless you with hunger for God. I bless you with having a fresh manifestation of the power of God in your day. I bless you with igniting such a measure of hunger and holiness in your family, your community, and your nation that many will experience a visitation of God. I bless you to find God's word and eat it, and it would become the joy and the delight of your heart. I bless you with strength in your spirit for each day. I bless you with meeting God daily, spirit to spirit. I bless you to be born again and receive the spirit of life. I bless you to have Christ dwell in your heart through faith and to be rooted and grounded in love. I bless you with faith, hope, and love. I bless you with the faith that loving Jesus produces. I bless you with being fully satisfied that God is keeping his word to you, no matter how long it takes or how contrary your circumstances may look. Oliver, I bless you with such a strong sense of standing on the solid rock of God's faithfulness and timing. I bless you with unshakable, irrepressible hope. I bless you with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and for you have eyes to see and ears to hear. I bless you to be humble, meek, pure in heart, and poor in spirit. I bless you to know that God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. I bless you to know the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We love you, Oliver. We bless you, buddy. Everybody, let's extend your hands towards the Lentons. And on the count of three, we say, we bless you, Lentons. One, two, three. We bless you, Lentons. So y'all just pray with them, with me. Um, reach your hands out towards them. Lord, we just thank you for Mark and Anna and Oliver. We thank you that you have given Oliver into the community of Christ, the body, the family of God that you have given him to us. And I just pray for Mark and Anna that you give them wisdom, that they would train him up in the way that he should go, that they will have eyes from heaven to see things in your perspective, that you will give them peace and joy of parenting that you will fill their home with life. I pray that you will send out the warrior angels on behalf of Oliver, that they will fight for him, that he will learn quickly to be still and let you fight. We pray blessings, love, joy, and peace over Oliver's life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we... Jesus Storybook Bible. You'll, you'll encounter Jesus in that, in that book there. You want to go ahead? Mark, I, I forgot to mention in the early days of the awakening, Mark led worship for us when we met in the house, when we met at Bar South, and even in here. So, yeah, he's been a part of his family. <laughs> it's true. He has Mark and Anna. Amazing. 
All right, so at The Awakening, we've been around about seven years, a little more, and for a long time, we were just whoever came was The Awakening. We had a leadership team, tried to help us get things done, but over time, we've kind of grown into more of a consistent group of people, and then we have people who kind of come and go. We love everyone here, whether you're here for one Sunday, you're here for lots of Sundays, you want to be a member of The Awakening, or you just need somewhere to sit while you're in college. It's fine with us either way. We love the dynamic of our community here on Sunday mornings and then outside of Sunday mornings also. But over this most recent season, we have felt like we needed to have more of a membership kind of structure to what we do. So, um, can you um, pull up those two slides? Just, I didn't know if they would come up because I have the papers. Um, so, we have, um, we've had two Awakening 101 classes. So, if you want to become a member of the Awakening, then we have a class that helps you learn how to do this. And, then, and so, the people who are coming this morning have participated in that class, um, and they're going to um, publicly become members of the Awakening this morning. So, um, you know who you are. Come on up here. Um, some of the people who are coming were in the first class, and they just weren't here on the membership Sunday. So, come on up. All right. We have all of you up here. And, Travis, if you will pass these out, um, this is your part. Whenever you get ready, you've heard it before. Uh, so <laughs> we want people to know what they're signing up for at The Awakening. So that's what Awakening 101 does. It teaches you our values and gives you an opportunity to get to know uh, Travis, Jesse, and I better. So um, Jesse, you want to come over? I guess you ha have to come to you, Donna, because you have to push that button. All right, so... Um, so our mission at The Awakening is to equip a community to release heaven on earth. That's our goal. That's what we, we are here for. Um, we have a few things that we feel like the Lord's called us to at The Awakening. Isaiah 62.10 says, Go through, go through the gates. Clear the highway for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Remove the stones. Lift up a standard over the people's. To me, that doesn't need a whole lot of interpretation. It's very clear. Like, we're called to be a light in our city, to remove the hindrances. And we love doing that. We need, a, we need an army for that. And so uh, one of the things that people here in Awakening 101 is whenever we um, first started at the Awakening, um, we have... We continue to have, we've always had kind of um, people who are a little rough around the edges. They made me uncomfortable. And so I always said I was a really good Baptist. I do Baptist really well, and I love my, I love Baptist. Like, I just, you know, it's really easy for me. And so it rubbed me. The edges rubbed me. And so I was complaining to the Lord about it one day, and he said, who do you want to go to war with? Lions? Or house cats. And of course, you know my answer, right? I want to go with lions. And he said, then don't domesticate my people. So 
we're a little rough around the edges, <laughs> but we're called to war. And so that's, uh, that's what we're about. And our enemy is the devil and his dark forces, and we fight against him. So uh, we also are agreeing and contending for 100% of Athens to be saved. So those are a few things about the awakening. Travis, you have to come over here, too, because you need the mic. All right. So um, if you are a member of the awakening, I want you to stand up because you're going to have a part in just a minute. If you're a member of the awakening, go ahead and stand up. All right. So, um, so we're going to, we have a few things everybody says Travis is going to start. So those of you who are members, as your, as your pastors, we commit to love God and love people first, to preach the gospel, to be honest with you, to seek God on behalf of the church, and to equip the body of Christ as best as we can. Church family, if you will uh, repeat with me, these are things, guys, that as members of the church, we commit to you, and we commit ourselves, if we're not doing these things, we're asking God to continue to move us in that direction. This is what we're going for as a family. All right, so if you're a member already, say this with me. As your church family, we commit to pray for you, stand with you face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, and back-to-back, face-to-face, honest and transparent relationships, shoulder-to-shoulder, We will fight with you in the fight against the devil and his forces, and back to back. You don't have to worry about your past because you know who has your back. All right, and if you guys, as new members, will uh, read your little statement, and I'll read it with you. As a member of the church, I'm sorry, (laughs) yours is different. I'm going to read with you. I made it work for them, but not on my paper. As a member of the Awakening family, I commit to submit to the authority of the Scriptures, to personally pursue intimacy with Jesus Christ through worship, the reading of His Word, prayer, and fellowship. Steward the resources God has given me, including finances, time, talents, and spiritual gifts, including giving regularly, serving, and participating in the Awakening community of fellowships. So, Lord, we just ask your blessings over each of the members of the Awakening. We ask you to give them vision and hunger and passion for Athens, for the body of Christ, and for the lost. We pray your goodness to pass before them and that they will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We say we need you in the body of the Christ. We need you to be you. Because no one else can represent the heart of God the way you do. We need you, we receive you, and we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for each of these. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, it's, it's Palm Sunday, so this is the, the week before Easter, in case the calendar has uh, slipped you.
I need Steve Fish to uh, make me more efficient with my technology. Yeah, it's coming up. So I want to talk about the appearings of Christ, and Palm Sunday was, uh, it's not coming up right now, but it will sink. Palm Sunday is um, when Jesus makes it really, really clear that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, and he comes in the town in Matthew 21, every gospel has an account of Jesus coming in Jerusalem for the triumph. It's called the triumphal entry. But Jesus is, he, he's got many appearings, and it's, it's going to culminate with his second coming. And so if we, Jesse, if you'll just manually go there, my, oh, here, here we go. It's, it's up. Glory. Everybody say Glory. All right. So we, I want to read out Matthew 21 is, is uh, the gospel we're going to use. All right. So it's Matthew 21, verses 5 through 11. Just read this with me. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So when they're asking that question, who is this? If you're talking with somebody that doesn't know the Lord, that doesn't know Jesus, a great question to ask them is, who is Jesus to you? Because you don't want to just, it's, it's good to have dialogue and whenever I, I, I've shared the gospel with people, I'll tell them, I may start off with, hey, Jesus loves you. And like, that's great. I'm like, do you know Jesus? And if they say no, or I'm not a Christian or whatever, I'm like, well, who is Jesus to you? And most of them may not have a really good idea. And from there, and when you can go into who Jesus is. He's like, you know, he, he's the son of God. You don't have to even explain from Adam to, to Jesus till now. You don't have to even go into that. You just simply, the gospel is saying who he is and like let the Holy Spirit work on him. He's like, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Are you born again? You gotta, you're born of the flesh, but you got to be born of the spirit. You don't even have to, it's, I'm telling you, you just, in, even in your, your stumbling or your, like the, the gospel is powerful even in a stutter because the, it's the gospel. It doesn't matter how it's presented. It's, it's the gospel, and it's the power of God unto salvation. As wrote Romans 1.16. It says, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So when you say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, even those three words, you release the Holy Spirit on their lives. 
It's like you just do, Holy Spirit, go get them. I was walking in Earth Fair this week, <clears throat> and this guy, I was about 15 yards up ahead, and I was like, hey, man, how are you doing? He's like, hey. And I went, Jesus loves you, and his smile toward me just went, went to a frown. But I didn't, I didn't say anything. I was like, Jesus loves you, and he walked by me, and I just went. <laughs> and because I believe I leak Jesus on people. I ran into my old English teacher from high school who's not a believer. And we were talking about God, and, and uh, you know, he said, I was, just, I was just saying, you know, the more, I said, you can't understand everything about God. I said, because if you, if you understand everything about God, then guess what? You are God. So there's, no, there's nobody that understands everything. There's no, that's why um, even, you know, Bill Johnson, I've heard him say, is like the more I get to know God, the more mysterious he becomes. He is the I am. How are we going to spend all of eternity being in awe and wonder if we're not continually discovering something new about him every day of eternity? He's inexhaustible. He is eternity. I mean, we're getting into like the stuff, you know. And and so when I've when I've shared the gospel with atheists, and I've said, "Hey, who is Jesus to you?" Nah, man. Almost everyone doesn't want to talk about. It. I was like, "Can I pray for you?" I said, "If I said if you really want to know if God's real, I said, let me pray for you, and He'll show up. God always shows up when I when I." talk to atheists. I'm like, no. They don't want you to pray. This happened in Argentina. This has happened in Athens. And the reason is because if God's real, they got to change everything. So it's fear. They're scared. But if somebody's really hungry to actually know that God is real, he, he will find you. If you're sincere in your search, he will find you. And so we're at this, um, they're asking that question, who is this? Which is a great question. So the first triumphal entry. So this is a, pro the Matthew 21 scripture is, is, uh, is a quote out of Zechariah. And it's significant that Jesus was riding in on a donkey. And not just a donkey, but a colt that was unbroken. All right, have you ever tried to break a horse for the first time? Anybody ever broken a horse? Raise your hand. We got a couple. What was it like, Tommy? Was it smooth, smooth riding? <laughs> but Jesus rode in. I mean, it, it was uh, that in and of itself, Jesus was saying, I have authority over creation because he's riding an unbroken colt that normally would try to buck you off. So here he is. And also it was a, um, donkeys were sign of industry, peace, wealth. And God commanded Israel not to gather horses in the nation or go to Egypt for them. In Deuteronomy 17, it said, Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. So up until Solomon's time, their war horses were donkeys. Now, would you be intimidated by an army coming in? On, like, donkeys are a lot smaller than horses. 
You know, you just, they're, they're like, we're coming for you. You know, it's just, like, look at those guys, they're all donkeys. We're going to, no, it's not intimidating. They were humble beasts of burden. It's instead of these mighty, like, Egyptian war horses that, that pulled chariots and were like the stud horses of that day. And so, in Isaiah, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek the Lord. So there's a message that Jesus is sending by riding the donkey. Some, in, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. So the Israelites, they eventually disregarded both of those commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Solomon had, he had thousands of horses. He built cities around the horse stables. He, he created an industry of horse trade between uh, Cilicia and Egypt. And the horse, but the horse re, uh, restriction was to be for Israel's own good. So Israel w- was unique among the nations and that they had God to fight their battles, Jehovah to fight their battles for them. God did not desire Israel to trust in horses and chariots as did Egypt, nor to turn to worshiping them as it happened with the, the wicked kings of Judah. And so when Jesus is riding in on a donkey, announcing himself, people are shouting Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which means Hosanna means save now. So they believe Jesus is about to come into Jerusalem, overthrow Roman rule, and, and set himself up as the second king of David, or like set him up, himself up like King David, who was the the most powerful king of his day. And Solomon continued that until he turned from the Lord. So they're looking, this is a, this is a government overthrow. This is uh, political in nature. This is uh, totally in the, in the natural. And Jesus said all along, I mean, he even as he goes in Jerusalem, he tells his disciples who are thinking the same thing. They're thinking, man, we're about to be at like this, the second David at his right hand. We're about to be colonels and generals, and, and Jesus says, I, I'm going to be put to death at the hands of the, the religious leaders. And that's, what, and that's why Peter was like, get behind me, Satan. And, and Jesus rebuked Peter. He said, no, this is, this is the way it needs to be. I'm going to send you a helper, and it's going to actually be a lot better that he comes than I even stay. But I am coming back. He is coming back to establish his kingly rule like they thought he was going to the first time. But he's coming to his death because he comes as, as a servant king. So his authority came by laying down his life. That's what Philippians 2 says. It says that Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every other name. That the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess. So one of the one of the reformations that Josiah did was getting rid of the horses, because they had begun the the kings of Judah had begun to worship the horses, and so when Jesus comes in, he's a, he's announcing his kingship according to Zechariah chapter nine, which is just 
a repeat of uh, Matthew 21. He de he's declaring that he's coming in peace and not in war. He's coming to make peace in this, in this first coming. Jesus' first appearance in the earth was to make peace. Right now, we're in a, uh, an age of grace where it says that God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. All right, it's, we're in the age of grace. There's mercy. At the second coming, the age of grace is going to end. And it's going to be, do you know Jesus or do you not? And it says that we're going to get into that later, what the second coming is going to look like. And it's kind of it's kind of heavy stuff, but it's like you got to know this. We need the fear of the Lord. We need. I tell people, what's the fear of the Lord? Well, it's, you're scared of God, but you're not scared of God. It's one of those things that in your spirit you're like, yeah, you're you're powerful, and and like you do what you say, and I need to really just obey you. But at the same time, I can get in your arms and cuddle up with you like a dad, you know, like a loving father. So horses, they symbolize war and power. In Zechariah uh, chapter 9, says that the Messiah would cut off the horse from Jerusalem. So you got the horse is just this symbol of pride and trust in the strength of man is essentially what it's boiling down to. Jesus riding on a donkey showed that he was coming in humility and not pride. He was declaring that his strength was found in God the Father alone and that his trust was in his father. Jesus riding on that donkey is like, I trust in God. I trust in God. That's what that's, that's meaning. I don't trust in the horse. I don't trust in great war weapons. I trust in my father. Jesus was declaring his dominion over nature, riding on an unbroken colt, and he was declaring his sovereignty. In John chapter 10, Verse 18, it says, no one has taken it away from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this commandment I received from my Father. So Jesus is laying himself on the altar by coming in Jerusalem willingly, okay? Now, we're in, so Jesus was uh, crucified dead and buried, raised again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father. The book of Acts opens up by Luke telling his, his friend, um, his name's slipping my mind, Theophilus, is that right? And uh, he says, I'm, this is the big, a continuation of the Acts of Jesus. <laughs> so, but he's talking about the, the, the disciples, the apostles, and everybody else mentioned in Acts. But he's, he describes it as the, the continuation of the acts of Jesus. So Jesus he's, is appearing, and he's alive in, today. And so he's, he's had his first appearing, his first announcement of his kingship, but he's continuing to, to do that in, in, uh, in our day. I want to read um, a story that uh, how many of y'all get Andrew and Annie McClure's newsletter, or, or you know them at least, Okay. So I'm going to read this testimony that Andrew gave. They're, they're missionaries in India, I believe. And, um, yeah, I, I was like, am I supposed to say that? Yeah, they, they say it in their newsletter. Okay, I'm good. Right, and so uh, 
So Andrew and Annie, they've befriended a guy that they, they call his name. His name's M, just for uh, anonymous purposes to keep him safe. And so they said a few weeks ago, they took their tourists, who are the students that come to get training, to M's sister's house in a city about two hours away. M was a tour guide, and we stayed the night with his family. M loves music, and he wanted us to sing, but not just any song. He wanted Oceans by Hillsong. He said, we did not do this version. <laughs> For nearly an hour, we sat in his home, surrounded by his family, singing worship unto the Lord. Now, M's family doesn't, doesn't know Jesus. Family is a big deal here. Mother and father are God to the typical Hindu. They're like gods, like demigods. And it's not uncommon for nearly 20 to 25 family members living in the same home. Okay, so they don't, they don't leave home like we do in America. So this is foreign to us Americans who value privacy, personal space, and independence. He said, but if we take a deeper look at Scripture, we'll see that family was a big deal in Hebraic culture and consequently to Christ and his church. And so he goes into talking about oikos, which is the, the word for, for household. And then he talks about M's household. He said, historically, M has, has only wanted to meet and discuss the Scripture in our home. It's safe, comfortable, and prevent, presents very little risk for M. But I've pushed hard to begin holding these discipleship times in M's home. Not only does this strategy give M more ownership over his faith, but it puts truth around his family. This past week, I shared dinner with M, his mother, his niece, and we discussed the scriptures. We talked about the gospel, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, the lordship of Jesus, and really what it means to be a follower. After a few hours, the night finally came to an end, and I returned home. At 7 a.m. the next morning, I had this text. As you can probably imagine, I was stunned. This wasn't a conversation I wanted to have via WhatsApp. So I went to M's home. I asked his mother to tell me what had happened. So this is M's mother who's not a believer. She was washing dishes and sent someone in her home. She turned and saw Jesus. I asked her how she knew it was Jesus, and she said, I've seen his pictures before, but I knew him from the peace he brought. She said that Jesus asked for some food and said he was hungry. She quickly served and quietly sat while he ate. Now, you cannot possibly believe the irony of this situation. This very night, millions of Hindu women were serving food to their gods for a very auspicious festival. The significance of Jesus wanting to be served by this dear lady is extraordinary. So he continued to compliment her on the food. Isn't that amazing? And once he had finished, he disappeared. She began praising Jesus, but when she stood up, something amazing happened. Only a few hours before I had watched her limp around. For seven years, she's been limping, in need of a knee replacement. But after Jesus left, when she stood up, she had no pain. Somebody say, glory. glory. Not a single bit of pain, and she was walking normally. It gets better. I asked her what she felt when Jesus left, to which she, sta she stated so much peace, rest, positivity, hope, joy. I had M open his Bible in his language, his mother doesn't speak English, and turned to Matthew 11. 
All who are weary and heavy laden, come. As Em read, his mother wept. She was smiling and weeping and saying, yes, that is what he left me. We then flipped to John 3. Nicodemus knew Jesus was of God by the miracles he performed, but Jesus demanded a deeper commitment than simply knowing. He demanded Nicodemus be born again. I explained that their family knows Jesus is of God by his miracles, but they too must be born again, to which they both affirm that they want to follow Jesus and him alone. We then flip to Acts 2. Peter preaches, and the audience was cut to the heart and asked, what must we do? Peter responded, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We discussed baptism, and they have agreed to take the week, travel to a city two hours away, share with their entire family, and discuss baptism as a family. Let's give the Lord an applause. All right, I'm going to, I want to read another testimony in that 1040 window. This is a Islamic terrorist hunted a pastor. This is the title of the article, but Jesus forward plot with unusual vision. So there was a man named Al-Rashid who was the commander of a fanatical Islamic group that sought to convert everyone to Islam and make all the nations fall under Islamic rule. He was angered by reports of Muslims converting to Christianity and spreading the gospel, so he formed a special task force to track down the Christian leaders who were responsible and convert or kill them. Rashid heard about Pastor Paul, a former Muslim and the leader of a group of ministries, boldly evangelizing Muslims in Asia, the Middle East, and other developing countries. Pastor Paul and his team were distributing Bibles in many languages and forming underground house churches in restricted countries. The terror leader developed a plan to kill Pastor Paul's family first, then capture the Christian leader, force him to convert back to Islam, and use him as a propagandist against Christianity. They made many attempts. He said, we attacked them several times, and miraculously they escaped. Once they initiated a plan to kill the family at night, but saw what appeared to be soldiers or gunmen stationed around their house, so they backed off. Rashid discovered the family lacked adequate food and their children were hungry and weak. So he sent a woman to deliver poison fast food to them. But on the way to their house, a dog bit the woman, seriously injuring her, and she never arrived. They sent a second woman with poisonous chocolate to give Pastor Paul's children. The boys ate the chocolate and survived, but the pastor's daughter got very sick. I was watching with two others from an ambulance near the hospital to see his daughter's death. Our plan was to kidnap the dead body along with his family in our ambulance, Rashid recounts. Got the pages mixed up. Oh, there we go. We had the printer on uh, double-sided, so I didn't know that. So there was something that happened that amazed Rashid. So this is the Rashid's, he's waiting, he's, he's watching them go in the ambulance. He said, something amazing happened. I saw a ball of light come down from the sky and stand over the room where his daughter was lying unconscious. To his utter belief, he watched a hand come from the ball of light, touch the pastor's daughter, and she immediately regained consciousness and stood up. He was astonished to see a hole in the middle of the hand and that blood was flowing down. Mm. 
I trembled with fear, Rashid says. I felt, I felt giddy and fell down, and my friends moved me from there at once. After this unusual incident, Rashid found it difficult to sleep. When he attempted to drift off, a vision of the hand entered his mind. The following night, a shadow of a human face appeared with the hand and asked him why he was nailing him, quote, nailing him. I lost my peace, Rashid recalls. He was afraid to say anything to his friends. Surprisingly, Rashid had a Bible in his room. Rashid said, actually, I was using it, its verses for criticizing Christianity and justifying Islam. He opened the Bible and his eyes fell on the verse, John chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He said, I understood it was Jesus. He realized the ball of light that came from above was actually Jesus who suffered when he was nailed to the cross. His heart softened, and Rashid went to see Pastor Paul and, and shared everything with him. Unsure what his reaction might be, he was surprised when Pastor Paul embraced him with tears running down his face. Pastor Paul said, I was once an enemy of Jesus Christ, but he loved me. He was crucified, gave his life for me. Then he rose from the dead. Because of his love, I can love you because Christ loves you. I believe Jesus Christ himself brought you here to share this love and to find salvation. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, he continued, and he will give you peace. Accept him as your Savior, he exhorted. Rashid surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ and was born again. Rashid said, I accepted the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, was baptized, and received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I'm evangelizing people through Bibles for Mideast, he says, and he's become one of their key leaders. Thousands of Muslims are secretly believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They don't have Bibles, and the rulers do not allow them to get Bibles. The Bible is totally prohibited in certain countries, but people are so thirsty for the Word of God. Many of our team members are converts from Islam to Christianity with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and have good experiences of doing personal evangelism, conducting crusades, and pastoring house churches. And that's pretty much the end of the story. But So Jesus is continuing to appear, continuing to announce a triumphal entry. Even with our Zuri the other night, we had, she came into her room. She said, we're like, did you sleep good, honey? And, uh, you know, we're just, we're real snuggly and cute voices in the morning. And uh, she said, Jesus took me to heaven last night. <laughs> and we said, that's awesome. Tell me about it. And she said, well, I saw Gramps and I saw the, the woman I was named after, and y'all used to call her something. Now, she was, her, Zuri's middle name is Caroline, and my grandmother's name was Carolyn. And we purposely, we, we, it was like, yes, let's name her after Grandma Carolyn. And Caroline means beautiful song. And um, so, but my, grand, my grandmother died years before Zuri was born. And she said, I saw the woman I was named after. And she, she said, y'all called her something. And all the grandkids called her Dogga. Don't ask me how we got that name. <laughs> but all the grandkids called her Dogga. And we said, was it Dogga? And she went, yes. But it was, it was Gramps, Jessica's grandfather, who had passed away three years ago. And my grandmother, Carolyn, who had passed away about 11 years ago. 
And Je Jesus took Zuri up. And she, how did Zuri know that that was Grandma Carolyn? She has no idea what she looks like, never met her. It's Jesus. Jesus appearing to our, our children. Jesus, our Josiah's had, we'll, we'll walk in and on the top bunk and he's crying in his bed. Josiah, what's, what's, what's wrong, buddy? Nothing, Dad, nothing. I'm like, well, tell, you, talk to me. I just feel God's love so strong right now. And I just would just say, Father, give him more, 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 Father. So he's appearing to our children. He's appearing to those that believe that that's capable, that, he's, that that's available for them. If you, don't, if, if you don't believe that that's an option, then you, you cut out the, that, that possibility. So you got to at least just be like, I'm asking God right now. I was like, just, I want to have radical love encounters with you. I want you to meet me in my dreams. I want to have visions of you. I want to be wrecked by your love. Whatever it looks like. It doesn't, it's, it's probably not going to look like Zuri or, or whoever's experience. But he wants to appear. <laughs> he wants to show himself to you reveal himself. And, you know, as we, uh, as we go into, uh, you know, Easter this week and how Jesus showed himself to the disciples, even after he, he was resurrected, just for 150 days, it said that he appeared to the disciples. And that was just like, that was so kind of the Lord, even with Thomas, who doubted. And he, he showed up to Thomas. I'm, I'm telling you, you don't have to have perfect faith. You don't have to be perfect. Like, God's merciful. Like, when you, when you come to him with an honest heart and sincere heart, it's like, Thomas was just telling the truth. He's like, I believe it when I see it, man. Jesus met him in that honest place. And he, Jesus appears and he says, Thomas, feel the, the holes in my hands. And be not unbelieving, but believing. So I want to talk about Jesus' second coming. If you'll come up. There we go. Uh, go back. One more testimony. There's a girl named um, Akiane. She's a Russian girl. She's had, she started having visitations from Jesus when she was three. She drew this portrait of Jesus when she was eight based off of a visitation. And um, she said, she was asking God, she said, I need somebody to be my model as I, as I paint this. She's eight years old. She drew that when she was eight years old. Painted that when she was eight years old. And um, they were praying, and uh, the next day a man knocks on the door who was a carpenter, and he looked like the, the Jesus she had seen in her visions, and uh, they used him for a model, and they never got his name, and they could never track him down, but it was just a carpenter and knocked on their door. I was like, hey, is there any way I can help you all today? And so anyways, um, so I want to talk about the sec second coming of Christ. Revelations chapter 7 said, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, 
from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this is actually a familiar scene. In heaven, they're waving palm branches before the king. They're crying out with a loud voice, salvation to our God, saying, essentially what people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, save now. Salvation belongs to our God. Revelation chapter 19 Verses 11 through 16, this was, uh, I memorized this verse a number of years ago, and it's, um, if, I ever, if I'm ever doubting that God is in control or that he's not powerful, I'll, I'll declare this in my house. But this is what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back. John said, I saw heaven open, and behold, there was a white horse. Now, Jesus is on a white horse now. Why is he on a horse now and not a donkey? He's coming. It's wartime. The first time he came in peace, now he's coming for war. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. How does he judge and, and, and wage war? In righteousness. He's going to make the right decisions, y'all. <laughs> He's going to make the right decisions. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns or diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So here's Jesus riding on a white horse in a robe that's blood red. The armies of heaven are behind him in linen, white and clean. So Jesus is distinguished from the rest of heaven. He's got a garment that nobody else gets to wear. It's the, it's the robe dipped in blood, his own blood. He's already paid the price for victory. His name is the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it, he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when it says he's going to strike down the nations, what does that mean? Is he, just, is he striking down America, Germany, France? Is he, he's striking down those who have not bowed the knee to him, who have said, we don't need you. Nations is the, is the word for that term, and some believe that there will be whole nations that have not turned to Jesus, but that's just kind of opinion. There we go. So some observations from this passage. Number one, Jesus is called faithful and true. Two, he, he judges, he makes decisions. 
is what judging literally means. He's making decisions, making decisions in righteousness, and he wages war in righteousness. It's a justified war. His eyes are flames of fire, and he is wearing many crowns. He's the king of kings, lord of lords. He's dressed in war garments that are dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. So the word of God is what judges us. It says that that sharp sword comes out of his mouth. In Hebrews 4.12, it says this. I'm going to, it's the next one. My pad is not cooperating. There. All right. That's normally what happens at my house. If I, if I can't find something in the fridge and then I say, Jessica, then I find it. So anyways. So you just got to start walking towards something, then they'll pop up. He's followed, he's followed by the armies of heaven dressed in fine linen, white and clean. A sharp sword proceeds from his mouth to strike down the nations that oppose him. His word is a sword. And so in Hebrews uh, 4.12, will you go sit over there for me? I'm about to spank my iPad. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than, all right, go back for me. Yeah. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of their heart. All right, you can go to the next one. He will rule with a rod of iron. So what does that mean? He's, he's ruling with a, a rod of iron. It means there's not going to be any bending or breaking of his law. You know, currently, uh, a lot of the things in the world are trying to call evil good and good evil. There's a bending, there's a, there's a, a lawless spirit. And, and Psalm 2, it says, let us throw their shackles off of us and cast their fetters far from us. And it's talking about those um, people who are, they're basically rebelling against God's moral law. And, and, and so when it says that, it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And when you, when you, that picture of let us cast their fetters, it's just talking about, just in a nutshell, uh, Hebrew Judeo-Christian values. Let us cast them off they're, because they're perceived by the world as shackles. As This isn't freedom. But God's laws, it says in, in 1 John chapter 4, it says the commandments of God are not burdensome. Why does God have laws? Why did, why, did he, why, why did he have things that's like, listen, if you do this, this is going to be really painful for you. Now, does he keep you from doing those things? No. I mean, I, I went full blast into those things outside of his law. And, and God never just put handcuffs on me and stopped me from doing that. But his law is there. It's like this. Hey, this is, this is where the blessing is. This is. The promised land is within these commandments. The promised land is here. Now, it looks like freedom. The, the enemy wants you to believe that this is what freedom looks like. You doing what you want. You not having to submit to anybody. You not having any res, you know, respect for authority or whatever it is in our lives. And that disrespect for authority manifests in thousands of ways. 
But it's just like, that was, what, that was me in college. Let me throw, I'm free. Let me, let me do what I want to do. That's what freedom looks like. But the Bible says you are a slave to something. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. And when you're a slave to Christ, he's the good master who sets you free. And then because he's so good, you choose to be a bondservant to him. Because in the Old Testament, what happened was if Stuart was my master and he treated me so good, at the end of seven years, he had by Mosaic law, he had to set me free. But if he was so good to me, I would go to him and say, you know what? I want to serve you the rest of my life because you've been so good to me. And as a sign, I'm going to pierce my ear or place an owl in their ear as a sign as I'm a bond servant. So I've, I've tethered myself to Stuart for the rest of my life to serve him because he's so good. Now, what did Paul say about himself in relation to Jesus? He says, I'm a bond servant of Christ. And Paul also said, everything is permissible. You have complete freedom, but not everything's beneficial. You can have premarital sex. It's not going to work out too good for you. You can lie, cheat, and steal. There's, nobody's going to put handcuffs on you to do it. God's not going to slap handcuffs on you. It's not going to work out well for you. There's a lot of pain at the end of that road. So God, so God is complete. He, that's why he says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, because he wants you to make the right choice. And he's giving you the Holy Spirit to actually empower you to make that right choice. And the new covenant in Ezekiel 36 says, you know what? I'm not going to trust them. You know, I'm not going to even try to make them obey my law in their own strength. I'm actually going to do them a favor. I'm going to put my law in their hearts, and I'm actually going to put my spirit on them and cause them to obey me. He's done the work. He's done the work for you to live in freedom. And, but freedom is found in that complete surrender. In, this, in, the, in, the, in the Word of God, we have to be submitted to the Word of God. We have to be submitted to it. And, it has to, and if you mess up, you get outside God's parameters, outside of the blessing zone, I call it. He's merciful. He's just like, come back home, son. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation in Jesus. He's just wanting you to come back home. He just wants you to come home and not try to. He, he wants you to be fathered. You don't have to try to figure out life on your own. You don't have to live life on your own because when you say, I'm going to cast your shackles and your fetters of iron away from me, that means I'm going to try to do this on my own. It's an independent spirit, and you were never meant to live like that. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. You were never meant to be independent. You were always meant to live in relationship with God. But his, his laws, his commandments are not burdensome. That's a, that's, a lie, that's a lie that the devil wants to feed you, that I believe. And if you grew up in religious Christianity, it's, it's what was demonstrated. It is burdensome. It's a, Christianity is a heavy trip if you don't know what, who God is. If you've got a bad view of God, it's a heavy trip. But when you actually discover who God the Father is, it's, it's complete freedom. Your father knows what's best for you. I used to tell God, I don't want to be a boring pew sitter. 
Now, he never answered me in that, in that exact prayer, but I felt like he was just like, yeah, me neither. <laughs> He's like, you're speaking my language. He would tell me things. God just, he's so, he's so kind. Like, I'm telling you, he's just so kind. When the, Lord, when the Lord corrects you or rebukes you, it's like a kiss on the cheek. It says, faithful are the rebukes of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. But the Lord's rebukes are like kisses. He told me, I had a, a Georgia Bulldog, Georgia football stronghold. That's a real deal. Anybody, anybody else had been set free from a Georgia football? I'm going to call you out, Mark Lynn. All right, here we go. <laughs> he had me do a 40-day TV fast when I was 23, when I first gave my life over to him, and it was during football season. I told him, I was like, you know this is during football season, right? <laughs> He's like, exactly. This is the, the, the current strongman in your life. And so uh, I would... Uh, you know, he's, so I went through that, and, and he was telling me, he's like, Travis, I want you to worship me like you worship at Georgia football games. And I would go, I would leave Georgia football when I was a student, hoarse, dehydrated, not even from drinking. I'm just been sweating, sitting in the sun, yelling my guts out, and would be totally spent. And the Lord's like, I want you to worship me like you worship at the Georgia football game. I was like, all right. So one day, you know, at Convergence, which is uh, the church we were a part of at Fort Worth, Texas, we had a Friday night fire, and it just ended up being a three-hour worship set, basically. And I danced my little fanny off, and I was soaked through my jeans and my shirt. Completely. I looked like I jumped in the pool, and I felt like I was about to throw up. I'd done like a CrossFit workout for three hours. And I remember I sat down in the seat. Jessica was, you know, about to put an IV in me. And I went, I did it. I did it, Lord. And I just, you know, I just felt like the Lord just smiling, just be like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. It's good. And but it's, it's those types of things. You know, the Lord, I told you last week or a couple of weeks ago, when did I preach last? Two weeks ago? And he said, Travis, don't believe you believe me. And it was like, wow. But it was just like, yes, Lord, may I have another? Please. I love it when you speak into my life like that. Please correct me. Because it's, 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 his words are life. You get like a jolt of life whenever he corrects you. Because that's all his words carry. It doesn't matter if he's correcting you or affirming you. It's life-giving. Because that's what his words are. All right. Rabbit trail. So he treads the wine press of the fierce wrath of God. So that he, God, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to actually slay his enemies. It's just the truth. And, he, and, it's, and it's done in righteousness. It's the right decision. And it's just. You know, I don't know. I've had this uh, lesson really affirmed to me about I'm going to let God be the judge. I'm just going to try to bring people into the, closer to Jesus. 
we had a family member. Um, boy, it was great. I guess I can. You think it's all right to use? Huh? All right. Well, Jessica's grandfather that Zuri saw in heaven was a. I know. I know Catholics that are on fire for Jesus. He was not on fire for Jesus. He was. He uh, left left home at twelve or thirteen. There was no great fruit in his life. He had committed a, adultery and divorce and all this kinds of stuff and things that even the Catholic Church, you know, like frowns upon. And and I, he he had gotten cancer and he was getting close to death. We we're praying for him, but I just I, I as I said, Gramps, I had a conversation. I was like, Do you know Jesus? He's like, Yeah. I was like, I know, he's like, I've done, I've done the sacraments. I was like, I know, I know Gramps, but do you know him? Like, do you, do you talk to him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? He's like, I go to church. I know Gramps. I know. That's, that's great. Do you know Jesus? And he just didn't really ever answer the question. And I'm just like, God, get Gramps in there. So when Zuri comes in, it's like, I saw Gramps in heaven. I was like, Yes. <laughs> now, Gramps, the thing is, I don't know what Gramps had to be faithful with. You know, you, there's the parable of the one talent, five talents, ten talents. Gram, uh, Gramps may have had half a talent that he was responsible for. And the thing is, is like, I don't, I'm going to ask him that question. Again, if I had, you know, I would repeat what I did. It's like, do you know Jesus? I want to make sure you know Jesus. But ultimately, that's Gramps' decision, and ultimately the Lord knows if he called upon his name and, and was saved. I don't know what happened in Gramps' 88 years. If the, he had a moment when he was in the Army on the battlefield and he cried out to Jesus and got saved, I don't know. I just know that I, I want people to know Jesus, and I'm going to ask them, do you know Jesus, that he is alive and he is well? And so God's just, he's kind of like that. And then the last thing, Jesus has a tattoo. It's on his leg, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's your New Testament proof for tattoos. How many of y'all just had a load lifted off of me? I'm just teasing. So how do we respond? We change the way we think, and we live with an eternal perspective. Jonathan Edwards said, Lord, stamp my eyes with eternity. Secondly, you just if you don't know Jesus, you need to ask him to come into your life, to save you from your sins. I'm telling you, you do not know when the time's coming. There is a guy who is a prominent businessman in this area, and his son, his son murdered him. I don't know the man. He may love Jesus, but I'm just saying in a, in a one day he's standing before Jesus and it, he doesn't have any of his wealth with him. He didn't take any of that stuff with him. You come into the world naked, you leave naked. And so you, there's, you need to live with a view towards eternity. There's nothing wrong with wealth and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you, it's, that's not... You're not carrying that into the next life. So let's stand up. We'll have our worship team come up.
Father, I pray that you would just give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. righteousness. Increase. Increase the hunger, God. Increase the hunger. Just pray that out. Just, just say, increase the hunger, God. Just pray it out. Just keep repeating it. Keep repeating it. Increase the hunger. Increase the hunger in your church. Keep repeating it. Keep praying it over and over. Increase the hunger. Increase the hunger in this city for God. Increase the hunger in the lost. Increase the hunger in your church. Increase the hunger, Father, in us. Father, break the limits off. Lord, let us be no-limit soldiers. Let us, let us see like Caleb and Joshua. Let us see, Father, that the giants are grasshoppers in our sight. Thank you, God. Let us go into the promised land. Lord, let us not love our life unto death. Let us not fear man in any way. But let's, Lord, let the joy of the Lord be so strong in us that it, that it doesn't even matter what man thinks about us. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? But Lord, that we love people and it doesn't matter what they say, we're going to love them. It doesn't matter if they hate us, we're going to love them. It doesn't matter if they slander us, we're going to love them. We need boldness, Father, from the Holy Spirit. We need your words. And Father, I just pray that you fill our mouths with the gospel. Lord, that we would find ourselves, I pray that you would set up divine appointments, Father, to share the gospel with people this week. Father, I, I pray that you would open up doors for the gospel, Lord. And it would be so, in, in, in so many ways, God, that we would find ourselves in situations where we're like, this, they're asking me to share the gospel with them. They're asking for the gospel. I'm going to give it to them. And I'm not going to shrink back. And Lord, I just thank you that the gospel can be summed up in three words. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Surprise us at planted hundreds of churches only knowing John 3.16. That was the only verse he knew. He planted churches off of one verse. Because it's the gospel. That's all you need. So Lord, we thank you. We bless you. If you don't know Jesus, I want to introduce you to him. Maybe we can have one of our ministry team come up. Okay. Grams, y'all come up. Grams are coming to, or going to Nicaragua. Tell us uh, just a little bit what y'all going to be doing down there. Um, so <clears throat> we are going to be partnering with a church in Dario. Um, we're going to be doing some ministry there at his church, and then we just got hooked up with, um, just yesterday actually, we're going to be preaching on uh, basically TV in Nicaragua. Um, so we're going to have a healing service there, and um, we're going to get to preach, and it's going to get broadcasted all over Nicaragua. So that happened yesterday, so it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Let's pray for him. Extend your hands. Father, we, we thank you, Lord. I just pray as everywhere the grams go that the revelation of Jesus follows, God, that people encounter Jesus. They, they, they understand that Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. Lord, extend your hand with signs and wonders, with boldness, Lord. Let them be full of peace and confidence in you as they share, Lord, and just, and just Holy Spirit, fill their mouth with your words. 
everywhere they go, whether it's in one-on-one relationships or as they preach, we just declare that there is much grace, much grace to share the gospel. There is much grace to share the gospel. Father, protect them as they travel. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. That where the blood of Jesus is, death, illness, accident, mishap, it all must pass over in Jesus' name. And that, that you would surround them with your guardian angels to protect them and guide them in all their ways. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yes, come confess Jesus as Lord. If for the first time, we will all celebrate with you. Uh, if you would like prayer, please come and Stuart and Casey can pray for you. If you um, would like to join me and pray for um, our missionaries, Greg and Brittany Goldcap, we will meet right over here and we're going to pray for them and send our prayers to them. We're going to record them. So they are recovering from malaria in Tete, Mozambique. So um, y'all can join me. Uh, we probably need to be in the sun so that we can see. We may do it out there, actually. Don't do it up here. Meet me out there where we normally have kids' church to pray for the gold caps. Just to breathe, longing just to breathe something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. The way things appear, you're looking into my heart. Yeah, I'm coming back to heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming. 
guys are free to go, and uh, we bless you. Y'all have a great week. Have a happy uh, Good Friday. Remember, this what you, you know. This is we remember what Jesus has done for us every day. But it's good to have times and seasons where um, we really focus our, our eyes on that. But just thank Jesus this week for dying for your sins and saving you in that. He just loved you. He loved you so much that he, th he thought you were worth it. His father was uh, obeying his father. It was worth it. It's, it's, it was God's idea to uh, make a way for you to have a relationship with him. He loves you. And uh, go in peace. We'll see you later.